I want to uh, pick up, we're kind of moving incrementally in the same direction, and the idea that whether we know it or not, whether we think it or not, even whether we like it or not, uh, God's intention is that you and I would constantly be changing, uh, truly changing, not just our behavior is changing, but we are changing on the inside, reflecting more and more of what he is like. And, and once we kind of think about, wow, am I, are we supposed to all look the same or act the same? Uh, do we lose our individuality? Is God just wanting uh, millions of people who are his clones? And, and the truth be known, God created everybody uniquely and wonderfully different. But what we do have in common is he created us like him. He created us in his image to really carry the essence of his persona, of who he is. And, and the reality is, as he redeems us, as he transforms us, he's doing that together with one another. Uh, picking up the language we've been using because it's familiar, at least to those who have been here, uh, the idea of we are mystically wired, uh, God from the outset wired you and I to be able to hear him, uh, to understand him, to respond to him, to feel uh, him, all those ways that are very personal, very in, uh, intimate ways that we were designed and created to connect with God. And, and those things are the lifeline of your identity and my identity. No matter how foreign they may seem, and I, and I think often we create this struggle of hearing God. Well, I just can't hear God. I really don't know what he's doing. Or I wish I knew if I was supposed to take this job. Or gosh, I wish I'd know if I was really supposed to divorce my wife. And so you hear this kind of language and you go, you know, God is a lot more known than you think. And so I use that extreme case of divorce because I've had that posed to me before you know, maybe God is doing this. I say, no, nope, I don't even have to ask him. He's not doing that. <clears throat> so, um, so just our understanding is that truly is what his intention is, that you and I will begin to click with him more and more on that personal basis. And we've, we've really talked a lot about the idea that that is what makes verses like pray without ceasing make sense. Uh, if this is prayer, and if this is the sum total of what prayer is, it would be impossible to do that and live your life. But if prayer is really communion, speaking with God, connecting with God on an ongoing basis, then the reality is we can pray without ceasing. We absolutely can. I introduced this verse to you a while back uh, out of Isaiah. Uh, it is a verse that really sets uh, this stage. Although we were uh, created to connect with God in all kinds of intimate ways, the truth is through the fall, through the separation of man, God gives this diagnosis of our reality. And that is, uh, he says, you know, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. 
In fact, he goes further to describe just how far off we are. You know, mine are here and yours are here. If, if there were a way to, for them to be further apart, I would describe it. But the truth is, we are nothing alike in the reality of how we live. We are nothing alike. God says, I'm here, you're here, in my, even in just the thinking. So the, the idea that, that connecting with Jesus and a life with Jesus is a self-help program that's going to make you a better you or the idea that Jesus is an adjustment, or the idea that Jesus is just going to improve our moral caliber is, is, is false. You cannot walk with God by adjusting bill. I cannot walk with God with some tweaking. Uh, we uh, bought a house in Angleton, and our original idea when we bought it was uh, some some tweaking, you know. We were going to paint it. We we're going to uh, change some wiring out, and uh, you know, clean it up some. And the idea was we would we would flip it. Uh, that's been four years now, and um, and so tweaking went to gutting, and and then removing all of the plumbing and all the wiring and all the HVAC. And most, and some of the flooring, and uh, a lot of stuff, a really a lot of stuff. Uh, and and the truth is, it really needed all of that removed. It needed a a new beginning, and and that's us. Now we come to the table probably thinking we're better off than we are, and God begins to strip away the stuff that he did not author. And you go, wow, God, I'm becoming a really small me. And he says, I know, but the peace that is really you is the peace that's really me. And that's what we're going for. So in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, we get this... uh, this language that being this far apart, God comes back and says, but here's the good news. There's a time coming when I'm going to make this new promise with you. I've got a new way uh, for you and I to connect once again together. And he says in this covenant, Hebrews 8 uh, uh, verse 10, this is the NIV. uh, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 11 says, they will know me. All right, so we start out here. God gives the diagnosis and he says, but there is something that I am going to do. And that thing I will do is going to change everything. And this dynamic will be fixed. And what he's going to do is take his thoughts and his ways and he is going to put them inside us. And that changes everything. That changes everything for you and I. Now, so often I think we see God as pulling us together like this. But that's not really true. Why would God come from here to here or here or here or here or here? 
what God says is, no, I'm giving you my thoughts and my ways. We're not exchanging thoughts and ways. I'm really not going to accept your thoughts and ways. I am bringing you here. All the way here. I am going to put my thoughts and my ways in you. And that is how we are going to walk out transformation together. You see, what he's saying is, I'm going to make a way that my feelings and my understandings and my knowledge and my will, all those things will sit comfortably right here and right here. And you will be able to live your life truly as I do. Now, many believers accept that pretty easily. I think many believers do. I think where believers begin to struggle with that language is when it comes to how radical it really is. How when you're annoyed, that is now an opportunity to fix you. No matter how right you are. And, and I remember thinking, you know, God, when I'm annoyed at somebody because they did something wrong, you want to work on me. And when I'm annoyed at something I did wrong, you want to work on me. And when somebody does something that, that is really wrong and it aggravates everybody, you see it as an opportunity to work on me. Why is it always about me? And it's one of those moments when you wish it wasn't about you. But it is always about me. He is always using the moment to bring him up and out of me. He's always looking for every opportunity to make that a reality. And that is his promise to us in that new covenant, is that he will impart his ways and his thoughts, and I will begin to come to his level of living my life. <clears throat> so how do we really connect with God? We talked about he restores relationship, and in that we begin to have thoughts and feelings and desires and values and emotions and those things that are connected with him and related to him. But the question becomes, so I have this thought. I have this thought. Uh, is this thought, how can I know this thought is from God? How do I know it's really about God? And the answer is, we have to know something about God, don't we? We really have to know something about God. I find people really get confused when they are angry because somebody did something very, very terrible. They're angry about that. And at that point, I say, well, do you think that's God putting that anger in you? Maybe. Well, how would you know? What does God do with his anger? Does he use it as a reason to kill his enemies? Does God love his enemies? Does he do for his enemies? 
Does he show compassion on people who are really stupid and arrogant? Do you? Do I? I mean, they're wrong. You know, when they're really wrong, when you're on the line with customer service, it's the third person for three hours, they're in a foreign country, you can barely understand them, and somehow you're going to come out on the short end of this, and you are right. How do we do? Why is it it's never about me being right, but it's always about me changing? That's because the Father loves us and is drawing us to him. And he puts his thoughts and his ways before us. If we will allow that, if we will walk in that, if we will continue to allow him to take every moment that we are angry, every moment of victory that is clearly because you were sharp or smart or funny and you realize, no, that wasn't me either. He restores that relationship. I find people often struggled with the idea that God would, on a daily, on a moment-by-moment basis, connect with us in intimate and in powerful ways. And I thought about this, and, and I shared this in Mexico. Uh, our good friend here was, was, uh, had his phone out and was showing family pictures to people in Monterey. And as I looked over at those family pictures that he was showing them, it was a picture of Frida, his dog, in a pink dress. Her quinceanera dress. And as I thought about that, and they were exchanging really sincere ideas about this dog. in the pink tutu. <laughs> Wasn't a picture of his daughter, his son, his wife, uh, but, but <laughs> Frida, the dog. And it strikes me that they have a really good relationship with Frida. Uh, they are never far away in their thinking about, is she comfortable and, and does she need to go out? And uh, all those things, they are, they are always aware that Frida is in their lives and Frida is always aware of them. And they do connect. And they talk to the dog as if it speaks perfect English and understands perfect English. Perhaps Frida does. She's trilingual. She speaks English, Spanish, and dog. 
And some of you have the same connection with your pets. And truly, you know how your pet feels. You know when your pet is put out with you, uh, is protesting something you did or did not do. You understand what they like to eat, where they like to sleep. You understand their habits. You understand what gives them gas. So why would it be strange for you and God to have the same relationship? The same familiarity that you can speak of your God in such a way. You see, we are very capable of crossing those lines in relationship. I uh, recalled a story in Mexico. Years and years ago, I, I lived in a house in, uh, in Spring Valley. It was a part of Houston. And uh, there is a, it's an old house on pier and beam, so there was space under the house. And uh, there was a wild cat that lived under the house. And the wild cat was just that. It was wild. It didn't like me. Um, was crossed between being afraid of me and, and ready to attack me at any moment. This was a, a house cat. And, uh, and so I began to try to befriend this cat. I would put food out for this cat. And uh, this cat would come up and eat the food and then go back under the house. And, and uh, so I began to try to put out food and be close uh, to the food and the cat would not it would wait for me to get off a safe distance before it would eat the food and and then I, I went to work early so I'd get up at 5 30 in the morning and so I would I would go to the back porch and uh, and the light was on and I would look out and the cat would be just out there waiting for me to show up and bring the food and every morning I would set the food out and try to be friend the cat and the cat would uh, keep its distance and wait and eat the food. And uh, this went on for a couple of years. Uh, this cat uh, never, never warmed up to me. Uh, so it was never my cat, was it? But it ate my food. It lived under my house. And it developed an expectation of me for things that it needed. But it never allowed itself to become my cat. And after a couple of years, this cat was accidentally run over in our street. And, uh, and I took this cat to the vet. It was still alive. I took this cat to the vet. And the cat didn't make it. The cat died. And I was heartbroken because I realized I love this cat. But it was not my cat. And I don't believe the cat loved me. I believe the cat needed me. 
It wanted what I had. It developed an expectation of what I had. It made, if you will, demands of me. But it was never willing to be my cat. And I thought about that. I think often we believe in God and we want from God and we have expectations of God. But when it comes to moving into that relationship with him, we're really not God's. We're at a distance and we want him to just put the food where we can get it. We want the lodging. We want the protection. But when it comes to relationship, I don't know that we're always interested in the work of developing that relationship with God. And maybe some of us spend a lot of time under his house and around him. But at the end of the day, are we his? You see, Frida knows her last name is Quintanilla. She knows that for a fact. And your dogs know their last name. They know where they belong. And, uh, and my, my cat, see I called it my cat? My cat was really not my cat. It did not have my last name. You see... That is, that is the way our thinking has to change. Is it important to you that the relationship you have with Jesus begins to change who you are? And you surrender that identity that separates you from who Jesus is. Frida or Callie or many of our pets that are represented here, they gladly surrender what other people would call freedoms. They gladly surrender that to be a part. And so our thoughts have to, begin, have to work toward surrendering that independence for the greater reality of that relationship. So what are our thoughts? If we want to maintain thoughts that are independent from the thoughts of God, and we will suffer from that independence, we are choosing to live under his house and eat his food, but not take on his identity as our own. You see, we must guard our thoughts. Thoughts are never free. We must guard those thoughts. Are those thoughts God-type thoughts? And if we are angry, I'm not saying that all anger is sin. The scripture doesn't say that. But I think if we are angry, then that is absolutely a moment that needs God. Always. Always. Because left to my devices, my anger will take me to a place of serving me. 
If I don't bring my God identity to bear in those moments when I am a victim, when there is an injustice, when I am tired, uh, this week I, I struggled with uh, sciatica. It's a nerve that makes everything very painful. You know, it's, it's my choice to be rude to people because I'm hurting. But I don't have to be rude to people. If Jesus' nerves were hurting him, he wouldn't see that as a license to be rude or mean or short with people. That's not what Jesus would choose. Our thoughts, our emotions, the scripture and and the persona of Jesus can really be revealed in those things. And the world will be able to see them. But even better, we will be able to experience them. I love the song we sang this morning um, that I can't remember any of, but it's the one where we wanted him, but then we would see his glory. Uh, I want to be with you. That was the first thing. Then I want to see your glory. But one requires the other. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I believe this is the uh, New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Don't copy the way the world responds. I've got a new way for you to live. Don't do what you've always done. Don't continue in the way that you've always worked. Don't do the things that are very familiar to you. You see how profound that statement is? When it says the customs and the behaviors of the world, that's our customs. That's our behaviors. Those are the things that we understand to be normal. I had uh, somebody in our church ask me several weeks ago, you know, when, how how far do we have to go with this until we we can deal with it? That's a great question. I, I think it is really the question most of us have. At what point, You know, at what point can you draw a line? I think we can draw the line at the same place Jesus drew the line. He died on the cross. Truly, he looked like a fool, didn't he? All that power, all that strength. You see, our customs, our ways of thinking in that moment would have seen him as weak. Isn't that true? Didn't he look weak? You saved others, saved yourself. That's the language of the world because that's the way the world sees the reality taking place there. But that wasn't the reality that we know that was happening there, was it? There was something very powerful happening in that moment. Something 
incredibly transforming for the whole universe was at play there, but it didn't look that way. And so the language is saying that thinking, when you look at a cross and you see someone dying on the cross, being abused and humiliated, don't be deceived. Don't let your idea of weakness that the world has given you be what you reach for. Don't copy those things. Don't go that way anymore. It says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person, taking you from where we are down here low, as the scripture suggests, and his is, are as high as the heavens. And so in that, let him transform us. We will be a new person up here. Would you agree with that? If we travel from here to here, you think you'll be different? You think it'll be obvious to people around you? That's different. You think people will recognize? That's what this scripture's saying. It's telling you, not only is it possible, but it is the path that was laid out in this covenant that was described. It is the only path. This is the way that God suggests become completely new. Any adjustment is just that. Uh, the, the old adage, that's rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. It, it just, at the end of the day, won't matter, but this will change things. How? By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know, and I just put that word in there, discern, God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Then you will know God's will. Oh, so I give up all the ways that I have thought, the way I behave, the way I respond, my values, my understanding, all that. I surrender all that. God gives me new ways of thinking, new ways of relating, new ways of understanding. It will change the way I think with these things. And in that light, I'll know God. I will understand God. I'll be able to hear God, connect with God then it won't be this strange thing where you're fasting and you're praying and you're, you're doing everything you can to try to get a yes or a no from God. There's just something seems, I'm not saying we don't fast and pray. I'm saying that if we live our life with God in the moment, we, we can't take six months to get an answer on everything, can we? I have found a great way to know how you're transforming is to evaluate your thought life. Are you plotting ways to get even? Do you fantasize about, about making something right that isn't right? Are your thoughts full of lust, greed, 
Somewhere in the middle? <laughs> Philippians 4, verse 8. This is the NIV. It says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, a praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these. Consider things that are noble, lovely. Let those things be the place that your mind dwells. Now, the word true up here, because we have a great capacity to, to kind of, you know, pervert the word. You can look at something and say, well, at least I'm thinking something true. That guy really jacked me around. And I'm meditating on that right now. But you can't sacrifice the others to pick that up. So if you're going to think on how somebody jacked you around, then you're going to have to bring in the redemption of the thought. How does that work? It works like this. Wow, he really lied to me on that and took advantage of me. That might be true. So now your job is, how is this going to become a noble thought? Well, the way to make that thought noble is you bring Christ into it. What he meant for evil, God is going to use for good. Ah, that'll work. That'll do just fine for turning it into something noble. And now I get to play a role with God on how this is going to bear the fruit of the kingdom. And a great way to do that is now I am going to take on the role of interceding for this person who lied and manipulated me. See how God does that? We can start with the truth that is broken but we can't stay in the broken place with it. God's thoughts bring that up. So when he looks down at me, looks onto my life, and he acknowledges the brokenness in me, he doesn't leave me there, does he? His desire is to draw me out of that into life. A big part of this reality is we walk this journey together. I'm going to go over a few verses kind of quickly. The first one is Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so... Here's what God is saying. You know, I need to think. I need to be aware of you. How can I be 
a positive thought for you. I need to use my thinking, use my heart, use my God connection that would be beneficial to you. How can I encourage you? How can I be um, uh, the cheerleader of your soul? How can I be someone that is going to be a positive thing for you? That's an important part of my life. Not as a pastor, as a person. How can I be something that is of life for you? First Corinthians 14, also of the NIV, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you, have a hymn, have a word of instruction, a revelation, tongue, interpretation of tongues. Bring something to the table. Bring a gift. What would it be like if everybody showed up here on, on Sunday or if everybody showed up on Wednesday evening at small group and they brought a gift from God? A word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, something from God. How different would the room be? How different would we operate if our thoughts and our actions began with God injecting in us as a group encouragement and life and peace and wholeness. And all of a sudden, home group is starting at a whole different place. So when my life is terrible and, and Tuesday comes around and you know, I get a speeding ticket and I get this and this happens. It's just, man, it's all falling down. You know, I'm, I forgot the light bill and now there's a penalty on that and just everything sucks, you know, and you kind of go, I don't even want to go to home group. I don't want to go anywhere. So is that thought from God or is that thought something different? What do you think? Yeah, God probably would go, you know, my life sucks and I don't really want to do anything. I certainly don't want to hang out with people who will invest in me and love me and, and tell me the truth. So certainly wouldn't want to do that. But if God says, go, be encouraged, go. But Bill, you know, in your life that you don't like right now, be sure and take a gift. Why don't you stop where you're thinking and what you're doing right now? Why don't you sit down with me and why don't we get together a gift for you to take? Here's how that works. I had this sciatica. Uh, we flew to Monterey. Uh, I couldn't even get out of the plane. Uh, now, this is a small plane. This is not a 737, but this is our plane and I'm, I'm crawling out onto the wing. I'm literally crawling onto the wing, dragging my right leg in pain. You know, these guys with guns and, you know, security people are probably wondering, we don't want him in our country. He might have Ebola or something the way he's crawling around. So you try to put yourself up and look a little bit normal, such as you, such as you are. And uh, so anyway, we go through and, and my pain is screaming and, and we get into this cab 
and I'm kind of laying halfway in the seat and halfway on the floorboard trying to deal with my leg, and, and Melinda's laying hands on me and praying for me and, you know, really calling on the power of God to heal me. Carlos is in the front seat talking to the cab driver, and I'm hearing the cab driver, and I'm hearing them talk, and, and I'm like, God, I want to be doing that. I don't want to be doing this. I felt like God said, then do that. All right, and I started asking God, give me a word. And the Lord gave me a word for this man. And it turned out to be a powerful word for this guy. And so I'm laying halfway on the floorboard and halfway on the seat, and I'm, I'm speaking a word to this guy. It was cool. And, and, and it was exactly what the Lord was doing. You see, I got to bring a gift. So when I think of that cab ride, I don't think of the pain and the agony of laying on the floorboard and on the seat grabbing my leg. There's two things that come to my mind. God used me in my pain. And my wife was praying for me the whole time for my healing. Those are the two things that come to my mind in the cab ride. You see, I got to live my life in the supernatural. God drew me up to here. Even in the brokenness of this world, I can live an amazing life. Our, our message is our instrument. We look at Colossians 3, 15. Scripture tells us there it is, 16, I'm sorry. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, as you admonish or counsel one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the message flow in every way. That message is the power for others to be raised up to the place of God. That message is life-giving. And in Hebrews, um, we'll skip the next one and go to Hebrews chapter 5. The author of Hebrews says, you know, there's really a lot more to say about all this, but you're kind of dull of hearing it. You see, the people of God can get weary. And we, it can stunt our growth. And it says that many of us, we've stopped growing. We've stopped seeing the beauty of this. And we've become satisfied living somewhere less. And in that place, we aren't effective. In that place, we're not effective for us. We're not effective for others. In that place, what we will remember about the cab ride is our pain. That's what we'll remember about the cab ride. 
what we remember is, God, I was trying to do your work and I was full of pain. You're going to find what it says is you're going to be like babies who need me, uh, milk and cannot eat solid food of the Spirit. It means that others still have to take care of us. The scripture is real clear that our life is like this. We're together. But what you bring, you bring as an individual. And all of us can grow in that place with God where somebody isn't having to spiritually take care of us all the time. Where we start working in our own relationship with God and then we become someone who is helping others. And the author is pointing out, do you know it's really possible to be the cat under the house? To get close into need and need and need and need and need and need. And all we do is feel need, we hear need, we see need, we believe need. It brings more questions than answers and we are forever in a place where we have to be taken care of. But the God qualities should be growing in us and we should be rising up in those qualities and they should be resident in us. This is out of... Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead. It says, If there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Saying, you know, if you have any benefit at all from this relationship with Jesus, maybe some of us are the cat under the house. But if God has benefited you, if he has revealed himself to you in some way, and Paul says, then wholeheartedly, Find yourself in agreement with one another. Love one another, working together in one purpose and in one mind. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. You see how important this is? All of a sudden, the author is saying, here around you, not just in church, but in the street, take an interest in the lives that God puts you around. The cab driver, other people. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, I want you to see this because 
the way this begins, it says, it wants to point out, the scripture does, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was equal with God, but he never played that card. Think how tough it would have been to be around humans and discerning their flaws and their fakeness um, and where they were trying to jockey for position and where they were judging one another. Think about how it would be to be in that spot and not just want to pull the God card just a couple of times, you know? Just, just a little something to put everybody in their spot. Go ahead. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. This is out of the New Living Translation, by the way. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, he was willing to take on God's mind and God's heart but not take on any of the benefits or the glory of that. And it says that God elevated him to the place of highest honor and he gave him a name above all other names. You see, that's what God wants you to understand. When we think we're gonna miss out, God wants you to know he keeps the score just fine. <clears throat> I want to stop there. Um, not exactly, but, you know, we have such a wonderful ability to operate together in the fullness of God. And God desires very much that you and I pursue him together, but pursue him, pursue his thoughts and see them as the gold beyond gold. <clears throat> and that we do that together. You know, we were on this trip uh, in Monterey And we were working with the church planting couple. Now, he has visited a vineyard in Fresnillo, and it changed his life. To experience intimacy and to, and to see uh, transparency and to see the word delivered without religion changed his life. But his wife had never been and or experienced anything like that. So... Carlos had the thought, let's just have a little worship service and let her experience the intimacy of God. That's a great idea. My thought was, 
You know, we have 50% of our people are English speakers, 50% are Spanish speakers. Um, I don't know that anybody will know the words to the song that a large group would. And we're going to meet in a hotel, you know, room. Uh, this is going to go bad. This is, this is not going to work. So he's pushing for it. I'm pushing back. So here's my question. Do you agree with me or do you agree with him? Any thoughts? That's actually the best answer right there. You know, Carlos had a, a powerful God thought. I just logistically didn't see it working out. But he wouldn't let it go. And so myself and Melinda kicked in with thoughts on how could we make this succeed? And, uh, and we did. We, we rented a room. And we got words on slides. And we, we had an amazing, powerful time with God. And it was the highlight of the trip, at least to me. Now, all this was about her experiencing something different with God. Now, she's been a believer most of her life has a relationship with God. But I want you to hear what she wrote as a response to our trip to Mexico. Uh, this is uh, a message that she sent Melinda, uh, or sent us, sent all of us, but it went through to Facebook. And so I'll let Melinda share Norma's words with you. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks for taking the time to visit Monterey. I'm enormously grateful to God for having placed you in my life. You are the most kindest people I've ever known. Thank you for opening the doors of your heart to us. You have a very special place in our hearts, too. It was an enormous pleasure to meet you. I offer my sincere friendship, and I hope the time for the vina in Monterey starts and begins to bear fruit. I want to be a part of it as a good member of the community. Indeed, I already feel part of it. On Saturday, at the end of worship, I would have liked to say so many things, but I felt so embarrassed. Well, it's, it's just I just met you all, and, and I wanted you to understand it was a very special moment for me. I want to show my gratitude with all my heart. I thank God for allowing us to gather in his name. He had the exact moment, the right time and place, the date and minute to put us together. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. I'm so grateful to God for giving us that moment and for every day that he shows us his love through the people around us. I can never get over how much God loves me. It's amazing. I send you a big hug and thank you and thank God for giving you life. I pray that God continues to bless you so that you keep on glorifying and honoring him. Amen. God met her and her husband in worship and in ministry. God met them and they were changed. And he said, all my life, her husband said this, all my life, 
I thought that Christians would look like this, but I've never seen one. People are wanting to know if Jesus in people is real. They're wanting to know if there are people that really live here. Do those people really exist? That is where we are called to live. If you would stand, please.